Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing today? I just, uh, I trust that as we were singing this morning and engaging the presence of God, that if you didn't understand what was going on in terms of the cold chills that were uh, running up and down your body or the hair that was standing on the back of your neck, that's God trying to hook up with you. Let him, okay? That's just all that's going on. He's saying, I'm here and I care about you. Let him, let him touch your heart. And if you didn't sense that, then maybe your wood's wet because there was some fire in the house this morning. Going to get an Amen. So glad you're here today, so thank you so much. Before we get into message time, got a packet of information I want to make you aware of. They're going to be at the doors on the way out. Easter, April 1st at the bridge, and I trust churches across the country, is going to be an absolutely amazing day. We are praying for 50 people to come to know Jesus on Easter weekend under the influence of the bridge church. Can we get an amen, a hallelujah, a hand clap of praise over that one? So we're going to give you all the tools you need in order to succeed at that. There's a packet of information. Pick it up on your way out. Somebody said, is that one per family, one per person? And the answer to that is if you'll give them all away, you can have 20 per family. I don't care. Just get them out there. What you're going to have is a packet of Just Because cards that are specific to Easter, and they've got Easter uh, inf- invitation information on there. You've got some information cards, uh, invitation cards, all kinds of stuff. And there's even a card in there that gives you some ideas about how to use the Just Because card. But here's the coolest part for me. Our creative team came up with this, and I absolutely love it. They're giving you a, a little packet. I don't know if you can see that. If you've got a camera, it can shoot that. But uh, they're giving you a little thing that you can insert the Just Because card in, and then you can slip a Starbucks gift card or a $5 bill or a $10 bill or whatever the Lord leads you to do. And, and so when you bless somebody, you, you can touch them. Pastor Farrell told me one time he was in the drive-thru at Hardy's and he told the, the, uh, the lady, he said, I want to pay for the car behind me. Give them this just because card. And she said, well, you don't know it's a van full of construction workers. You know that, right? <laughs> well, if you don't want to get caught in that, just put a $10 bill in there and say, can you help out with the thing behind you? But anyway, take advantage of that opportunity. Get these things out. Now, here's the, here's the deal. On Wednesday the 18th and Wednesday the 25th, we want to blitz this community with Just Because cards. Okay? You feel led to do it before that, feel free. But on the two Wednesdays before Easter, we want to blitz this community with Just Because cards. And then, of course, you get invitations in there as well. Let's get people here. Well, Jim, if we're praying for salvations, that means we need unsaved, unchurched people to come. Who do I know to give it to? Here's the truth. 70% of the people you will run into on the street never darken the door of a Christian church. That's the sad reality. You ain't got to worry about whether you're giving it to a church person. And if you do, maybe they'll give it on to somebody else and pay it forward, okay? So let's get it out there. Let's, let's, let's pack this house all out on Easter weekend. All of our locations are working together, and we're praying together for 50 souls on that day. Would that be an awesome celebration of the risen Lord on that day or not? It would be awesome stuff. Let's give him praise for what he's going to do. Amen. Let's get into message time. Cool stuff going on. I've got to ask you a personal question before we get started, though. How many of you will be honest with me and, and say, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to just be honest here in church, okay? How many of you have ever hurt somebody, intentionally or unintentionally? Come on, look around. Those of you that aren't raising your hand, I've got nothing to say to you. God bless you. We'll preach on lying next week. We'll just deal with that one later, okay? All right, let me ask it this way. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody, intentionally or unintentionally? God bless that hand. I see that hand. The reality is we all have hurt people, and we all have been hurt by people. I got hurt 
really badly this past week, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get over it anytime soon. I was in a store, and, uh, and I brought some stuff to the cash register, and the cashier said to me, uh, she said, did you find everything you needed, young man? <laughs> now, you know the only people that you call young man are little kids who want to be a man and people who are so old that you have to make them feel better about themselves. <laughs> and I said, did you call me young man? <laughs> she said, uh, yeah. I said, I will avail of my senior citizen discount. Thank you very much, but I am not a young man. Just get over it. So I'm boycotting them. I will not be shopping <laughs> at Walmart for another month. I will show them. <laughs> They'll be going under. You watch. They're going to... So how do you handle it when you're hurt? I and mean, we've all acknowledged that we've been hurt. How do you handle it? How do you deal with it? The simple truth of the matter is, guys, how we handle the hurts that we've all acknowledged we have to deal with is huge. It may be the number one thing in terms of whether we find fulfillment in life or not. If you respond incorrectly, hold on to it, then it becomes resentment and resentment is the great destroyer of relationships. For those of you that are new, we're in a series we're calling hashtag all the feels. And that's a, a common expression these days in social media that just simply talks about there's so many emotions all wrapped together. There's no emoticon that I can use. So I'm just going to hashtag all the feels it. And we're looking at some of those common emotions, common feelings uh, that are common to all of us. We've talked about when you're feeling overwhelmed. Last week we're, we talked about when you're feeling depressed or you just got the blues or the blahs. And today, of course, we're talking about resentment. If you want, to, want the notes of the message, feel free to email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. And if you want to follow along today, and I hope you will, go to the Bridge app, uh, find notes, just scroll over, you'll find notes, open that up, save it to your journal, take your own notes, and let's follow along today, and let's see if we can learn how to deal with the feelings that we all have to address, and that is feelings of resentment. We're going to do that by looking at a man in the Bible who God called the most righteous man on earth. Uh, and, and in fact, he was so righteous that he got Satan's attention, and Satan came to God and said, uh, the only reason he follows you is because you've blessed him so much. Let me take the blessings away. And God allows him, without touching his life, God allows him, uh, just as a, as a test and as an opportunity, he allows him to, to begin to take those blessings away so that he would find out that this man, Job, was in fact in love with God for real. He was righteous for real. For real. And you talk about impact. You talk about tests. Job was the wealthiest man on earth in his day, and he lost it all in one day. His enemies swept in and killed all of his children and all of his livestock in one day. His wife even turns against him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And then his friends show up to comfort him, <laughs> and they do anything but comfort him. Some of the stuff they said were true. They just didn't apply to Job, and some of the stuff they said were just stupid. They were just out there weird that were not comforting at all in either case, and so Job had to deal with all this stuff at one time. Add to that his health, boils all over his body, and it was just a horrendous experience for him, but somehow this man who had every right to feel resentful didn't. Somehow this guy, who had more opportunity perhaps to be resentful than any of us in this room, found a way that the rest of his life was in fact the best of his life. He didn't die a bitter old man. 
The last of Job's life was the best of his life. So here's the social media quote of the day. If you do uh, Twitter or Facebook or one of those things, Instagram, I want you to put that up there. Let's do this thing together. Hashtag all the feels. Regardless of the pain of your past, the rest of your life can be the best of your life. Let me say that again. Come on. Regardless of the pain of your past, the rest of your life can be the Let's all read it together. I want you to hear it. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear it. Regardless, come on, one, two, three. Regardless of the pain of your past, the rest of your life can be the best of your life. But that is hugely contingent on how you deal with that pain. So we're going to talk about how do we deal with feelings of resentment. If you want Job's life to be true for you, the best, the rest is the best, then you've got to know what Job knew. And when we study the book, obviously we don't have time in one session to go into a lot of detail about the book, but when you read through the book of Job, and I hope you will uh, in your own private devotional time, you're going to see the, the common causes of resentment. You're going to see the problem with holding on to resentment. And then most importantly, where we'll spend the lion's share of our time this morning is we're going to, what do we do about it? We recognize that resentment is brewing. What do we do about it? Let's get into it. Job's story identifies first and foremost uh, two primary causes of resentment. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. First of all, uh, we are often resentful because of what people say about us. Is that true? Is it painful when you find out somebody said something uh, bad about you? It is, isn't it? Uh, One of the things that was true that his friends said, just didn't apply to him, is found in Job chapter 12, verse 5. Those who are comfortable don't care uh, that others have trouble. They think it right that those people should have troubles. Is that true? I mean, for some people. You, have you ever noticed that? Sometimes wealthy people have very little patience for poor people. You, you ever notice that? Sometimes uh, uh, healthy people have very little patience for somebody who's sick. Come on, get out of bed. You're doing fine. I mean, is it true? Sometimes a parent whose kid's doing well has very little patience for a parent who's struggling with their kids. I saw a bumper sticker one time. This, you know, you've probably seen this one a lot. It says, my kid is an honor roll student at such and such school. Well, I saw one one time that was, uh, my kid kicked your honor roll kid's butt. <laughs> he might needed this sermon. I don't know. But there's a whole bumper sticker. Those, those people can say the meanest things to us sometimes, and, and, and it hurts. You know the old poem, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's just not true. It just isn't true. I mean, we can all, if we just pause for a second, and I'm not going to, but if we wanted to, we could pause for a second and think about painful things that have been said, maybe on the third grade playground that still haunt us to this day. Amazing how labels stick and affect us. What our parents said, what a teacher said, what a bully said, what a spouse said in anger. And those scars can affect how we see ourselves and how we relate to one another. Is this making sense? But sometimes they don't have to say anything. Sometimes it can be perceived. You ever seen that? Sometimes it can be a look. You ever somebody look at you and you go, why do you look at me like that? And they didn't mean anything. Their minds were somewhere else. But in your mind, they did something uh, horrendous. Or, or, or even silence can be seen as an offense. It's one of the things I have to deal with leading a large church is, is I'm trying really, really hard to get to know all you guys. And, and I'll walk up and say, hey, I don't think we've met yet. Well, actually, we met last Sunday. You just forgot. Well, I'm trying. I promise I'm trying. But every now and then, somebody will say, you walk right past me at Walmart, and you didn't even acknowledge me. I'm I didn't know. I'm sorry. But sometimes people won't tell me that. 
And they say, well, you know, he's, a, he's stuck up. He, he won't even say anything. But you see, those, those things can become offenses that we carry on to that ultimately become resentment that we have to be careful about. Sometimes people say things or don't say anything, and it hurts us. The, the larger one, though, perhaps, is what people do to us. Job uh, did get discouraged about his circumstance. Look at Job 19.19. Uh, 19. All my close friends hate me. Even those I love have turned against me. It's often those who are closest to us that do things or perhaps fail to do things that hurt the most. Is that true? I mean, study the, the statistics. The vast majority of murder victims, where do the police go first for a perpetrator? They go to the family. They go to the people that are closest to them because the vast majority of murder victims knew their their killer. I read just recently that six million wives are beaten by their husbands every year in America. Ten million children are abused by a parent or a step-parent every year. Some estimate that as many as one in six boys and as many as one in four girls are abused in their lifetime. I'm talking sexually abused in their lifetime by a family member or a close friend of the family member, those people that are closest to us often hurt us deeply. But whether we're talking about major hurts or minor hurts, um, it's often true that resentment shows up not in the workplace and not at school or the store, it's at home. It's in the marriage, it's in the family, it's in the church. Those people that are closest to us often say things or fail to say things. They do things or fail to do things. And if we don't guard our hearts, those things will become resentment. The closer the people are, the greater the opportunity they have to say hurtful things or betray of confidence or to be disloyal. And, and, and we have to be careful not to resent it. And don't please just throw this in for free. Please don't tell me, uh, I am filled with the Spirit. I don't have to deal with that in my life. I have a deeply theological expression for you. <sighs> We're all born with a sin nature, and ever since Adam and Eve messed it up, we've had to deal with these realities. The Holy Spirit can help you to overcome them, but you're no less human, and you never will be any less human this side of eternity. Can I get an amen from some of the brave souls? And, and hear me, guys, the dis- default setting is don't deal with it biblically. That's not what comes naturally. That's what comes supernaturally. What comes naturally is don't deal with it, and when you don't deal with it, it turns inward, and when it turns inward, it sucks the life out of you because it has become resentment, and it happens to all of us. Okay, Jim, if it happens to all of us, if it's so common, what's the big deal about it? Let me tell you two major problems with resentment, and then we'll get into what we're going to do about it. First of all, resentment just simply isn't helpful. It's just not helpful. It doesn't help. Bildad was Job's uh, friend who was uh, super sarcastic. It's almost hilarious if it weren't such a a poignant story, some of the things that he said. But here's one of my favorites. In Job chapter 18, verse 9, Bildad said, Just because you tear your clothes in anger, is this going to start an earthquake? Shall we all go and hide? (laughs) Friends like that, who needs enemies, right? That's a yucky thing to say to your friend who's hurting. But it's true, I guess. (laughs) Resenting somebody... From your past doesn't change your past, right? Does it change that? doesn't. I mean, that's why they call it the past, because it's in the past. It doesn't correct the problem, and, and it won't make you feel better. And so it's not helpful at all. In fact, 
Resentment is actually harmful to you. I love the way the message paraphrases Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Uh, he said, don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger boomerangs. Say it with me. Anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. Don't you love that word picture? <laughs> Your goal may be to hurt the one that's hurt you, but it boomerangs. It comes back and plunks you in the head. In other words, you're only hurting yourself. I learned that years ago from my favorite theologian. Shaped my life. Uh, Larry finally got tired of Moe slapping him in the chest. He told Curly, I'll show him, and he strapped dynamite to his chest. He said, I'm going to blow his hand off next time he slaps me in the chest. Somebody said, it's like holding a shotgun backwards against your shoulder. You think you're going to hurt the offender with the recoil. Stupid as that is, that's what we do, guys. I just got to be honest with you. Um, some of you are still allowing hurts from your past to define your present. Which means it's not your past, it's your present, and it's defining your future. An ex, a parent, a, a teacher, a classmate, a church leader, a pastor. You're allowing them to make you miserable now, even though it happened Back then, hear me, guys, they can't hurt you anymore unless you let them. But you have to decide not to give them that power over you because that's exactly what you're doing when you hold on to resentment. You're giving them power over your future. And the impact's not just emotional. Look at uh, Job 21, 23, and 25. One man dies in full vigor, completely secure and at ease. Another man dies in bitterness of the soul, never having enjoyed anything good. In other words, you can't be resentful and healthy at the same time. You see what he's saying? No, somebody put it this way. If you hold a grudge, that grudge will hold you back. Come on. So ultimately, it's you that pays. You've heard, watch what you eat. I say, watch what eats you. It's taken a while, but I'm glad to say that finally we're beginning to see glimpses in the medical community and in the religious community. Pastors are finally starting to say that there's a link between physical, emotional, and spiritual, and they're all intertwined tied together, and they're almost inseparable. You have to deal with all of them if you want to be whole, and resentment destroys all of them. If you want to be healthy, you cannot hold on to resentment. God knew it centuries ago, and he prompted Solomon to write in Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So for your sake, whether you're sitting in this room or you're watching online, for your sake, let it go. Resentment is not helpful. It's actually harmful to you. Okay, I, I get it. I hear you, Jim. I, it's common. We all have to deal with it. It may be something somebody said or didn't say. Maybe something somebody did or didn't do. Uh, and it's not helping. It's hurtful. But I, I don't know how to get past it. I don't know how to let it go. I don't know how to move on. Well, I'm, that's what we're here for. That's what this is about. Because Job managed to do that. Did I mention that the rest of his life was the best of his life? 
And th that the best came later, not before all of this junk happened in his life. And so if you want to say that's true for you, then you've got to do the same three things that Job did. Let's just walk through it. And I, I just want to challenge you to give some thought to how am I doing in these three essentials to being free from resentment. Essential number one is I must face my hurt. I must face my hurt. Say it with me out loud. Hear yourself saying it. I must face my hurt. One more time. I must face my hurt. Job 10, 1 and 2. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in my bitterness. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Job's hurting to the depths of his soul, emotionally, spiritually, physically. He's in pain, and he starts to call out in the midst of his pain. It's like he's saying, God, uh, don't hold a grudge against me because uh, I know who you are. Uh, you're God. I'm not. I get it, but i got to get this off my chest. I can't carry it around. I can't bury it anymore. I, got, I don't like this. It ain't fair. Why, is, why aren't you doing something about this? This situation stinks. you got something against me. Tell me what it is. And then he ducked. Okay, I added that last part. That's not in the Bible. That's what I would do if I said all that to God. And can I just be real personal with you? For a minute, I have said that to God a few times since October when we lost our son. I don't get it. I love you. <laughs> I need you. But I don't understand. Simple truth is, guys, you don't get past it till you face it. You got to face it. You got to deal with it. Some of you are carrying resentments around right now, and you know it, and God knows it. But you're scared to death to admit it to yourself, much less admit it to him. And I understand, because in order to face it, you have to feel it again. And it hurt, and you don't want to feel it again. So you'd rather just kind of bury it. But hear me, guys, when you bury it, you bury it alive. And it resurrects at the most inconvenient times. Look at 1 John 1, 6 and 7. John said, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Hear me. You know what he's saying? He's saying secrets held in darkness become more and more powerful, leading to death. Death of fellowship, death of relationships, death. It's only when they are exposed to the light that healing begins. Take a plant, put it in a dark place, what happens to it? It begins to die. Bring it back out into the light, what happens? It begins to flourish again. I, I know, I know, I know, but I'd just rather close the door on my past. I, I'd just rather just move on. That would be great, but I think I mentioned when you bury it, you bury it alive, and it keeps coming back every time you hear a song or you see a picture or you attend an event or it just comes rushing back again and then you're fighting it again because you haven't dealt with it yet. And I'm telling you, please, I beg you as your pastor, deal with it because the only one you're hurting is yourself and you're, and you're, you're holding at arm's length the very fulfilling life that Jesus promised you. As hard as it is, the first step in this journey is to face it, to be honest about it 
to be real with it. Okay, I hear you, Jim. I hear you. Uh, but how? how? How do I do that? Well, you do a couple of things. First of all, you, you start by doing what Job did. You tell God about it. Have an honest prayer with him. Well, you know, I'm not really good at that praying thing. I kind of let other people do that praying thing. I've never prayed out loud before. I don't know if I could do that. Well, then just get a chair and go to a, a, your private room somewhere. Get a chair, put it in front of you, and imagine that God is sitting in that chair and just tell him. Just talk. Talk to the empty chair. And if you can't do that, then get a piece of paper, and I recommend you do this anyway. Get a piece of paper and just start writing. Don't worry about if it makes sense. Don't worry about grammar. Just pour it out. You may find yourself writing eight or ten pages. Just pour it out. Pour it out. Now, don't mail it to anybody. Put it away. (laughs) But pour it out. Get it out. Start by engaging it. And then, once you've done that with some time, then you find somebody you trust and you have that honest conversation with them. Say, here's what's going on. It may be be your spouse. It may be your small group leader. It may be one of the pastors here, maybe a counselor, psychiatrist. Just get some help. Make sure they're going to give you godly counsel. Somebody that has a good ear, has godly wisdom, and will give you biblical counsel. But James 5.16 says, confess to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Well, I, that, would be, that would be humiliating to, to tell somebody that I'm actually carrying resentment. That's the point. God gives grace to the humble. It is in humbling yourself and saying, you know what, I, I've been carrying this thing around, and I'm done. I don't want to carry this anymore, and I just need to talk to somebody I trust. Let me tell you what's going on. And then in that moment, I want you to visualize, as difficult as that conversation may be, I want you to visualize the light of God beginning to shine on your heart and healing beginning in that moment. If you really want to deal with the resentments that are that are common to all of us, and you want to finally put that junk in your past, you got to face it. you got to admit it. you got to deal with it. The second thing that <coughs> Job knew and taught us, we understood, is that you've got to forgive your offender. You do have to face the hurts, but you also have to face to forgive your offender. Job's friends hurt him unbelievably. I mean, they accused him of all kinds of things, and frankly, very few things hurt more than having your friends misunderstand you, accuse you of things you're not guilty of. You're innocent, and they say you're guilty. That's exactly what Job's friends did. But you know when the U-turn began in Job's life? Do you know when he began to turn back to healing and health and wholeness and blessing? It was not after revenge on those friends. It was after he released those friends. It was after he began to pray for those friends. And I don't mean just kind of, I'm going to let them go. I'm talking about the kind of release where he prayed that God would bless them. Whoa, you just quit preaching going to meddling, Pastor. Job 42.10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Romans 12, 14, Paul said, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do you understand the principle? Do you understand the principle of why those things are there? It's not just a rule that you have to obey. There's a principle. Here it is. You become, you may want to write this down, you become what you focus on over time. You begin to resemble what you rehearse. 
And so if you're rehearsing, focusing on a person who hurt you, get mad at me if you must, you will eventually begin to look like them. You will catch yourself doing things they did. And you'll wake up one day and go, ah, is that true? Well, let me ask it this way. <laughs> How many of you, when you were kids, your parents said something to you that you didn't like, and you said, when I have kids of my own, I will never say that to my kids. And then 25 years later, it's like your dad's voice is coming out of your mouth, going down the hall, hitting the wall on the far side, bouncing back and hitting you in your face, and you're going, I am my dad. You begin to resemble what you rehearse. And so what, I, what, what am I saying? I want you to resemble blessing, not cursing. I want you to look like the blessing that you're giving. Simple truth is the only way you do that is you forgive. Okay, I, I, I hear that, Jim, but I thought I did. I mean, I said, I forgive you. I said it to them. Uh, so why does it keep coming back? And why does it keep stirring up? Here's the deal. God is God and you are not. Did you get that one? God is God and you are not. Say it with me. God is God. I am not. God forgives like that. We ain't God. Did I mention we ain't God? For us, it tends to be a process. For, for us, it tends to be a, a journey that we go on. <coughs> In fact, Lewis Augsburg <coughs> wrote a book a number of years ago. He called Caring Enough to Forgive. And he actually outlines four stages in the forgiveness process. And since I read that book many years ago, I've been watching it in my own life and in the lives of people that I work with, and I've come to believe there's a lot of truth in what he's saying. Stage number one in the forgiveness process is what he calls the hurt stage, and that's where you feel kicked in the chest. You feel like the wind's been knocked out of you. You're never going to get over it. Every one of us has been in that place over some situation that happened or we thought should happen, didn't happen. We've all been hurt. And the first stage in the forgiveness process is to acknowledge that hurt. Remember we said you got to face it in order to get past it? The second stage then is the hate stage. I'll say it again. Don't tell me you're filled with the Spirit. You don't have to deal with this. You're as human as I am. We're all human. We're all in this together. I got stuff. You got stuff. All got children got stuff. But I, I'm a Christian. I'm filled with love. I don't hate anybody. Yes, you do. Do you understand the word, the word hate means? We, we tend to think that hate is the opposite of love. It is not. According to the Scriptures, the opposite of love is fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So the opposite of, of love is not hate, it's fear. Hate is an emotion that says, I want you to feel the pain that you inflicted on me. You can love somebody and hate them at the same time. You can. We all do it. So you got to recognize that that's a part of the forgiveness process. Then stage three is the healing stage. Augsburg describes it as divine surgery. Here's what happens. You tell me if it's true. Here's what, what I see happens. When somebody hurts you, by whatever means, uh, every time we see that person or think about that person, what they did is attached. Am I right? 
You just immediately flood right straight to what they said or didn't say or did or didn't do. And it's all tied together. Eventually, in the forgiveness process, we begin to do divine surgery where we separate the person from the deed. And we get to the place that we can begin to see that person as a flawed, sinful, in need of grace person just like me. And there's a separation that takes place where over time, every time you see the person, the hurt doesn't immediately come to mind. Oh, Jim, I would love to get there. How do you get there? You keep forgiving every time it comes up. Every time it wells up in your heart or in your mind, you forgive again and again and again. How do you move through the stages? You you forgive. And that's, that's kind of a backstory. That's a little bit of a context to Jesus' teaching to Peter in Matthew 18, 21 and 2. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus said, not seven times, 70 times seven times. You ever done the math on that? 70 times seven times a day. Jesus said, how many times do you forgive? Every 2.93 seconds if that's what you got to do to move through the journey. Actually, if you're counting, I'm not sure it's forgiveness. But you understand what he's saying? Keep, I forgive. I choose to be a forgiver. I, I, I am a forgiver. This is who I am. I received grace. I'm going to give grace. This is who I choose to be. I'm, I will not be a victim of my past. I will not be stuck in my past. I will not let that person continue to hurt me. I forgive. And you keep forgiving until you move from the from the hurt stage to the hate stage to the healing stage, and then something happens and you're right back into the hurt stage and the hate stage. Again, it's like grief. It's not linear. It's cyclical. You go back, but every time you go back, you say, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. And eventually, you find yourself moving through the stages to where resentment no longer is a characteristic of your life. It has been released. Pastor Ryan in our Goldsboro location tells the story of a man that he uh, worked with in a previous church who was a, came to Christ in prison, and uh, when he got out of prison, he came to their church and became part of the praise team, he was just a wonderful man of God, and lots of reasons to believe that God had been doing amazing things in his world, and the guy called Ryan one day to say, I've got to talk to you, I've got to talk to you, Where, can you meet me somewhere, I've got to talk to you, what had happened simply is that he had been in Lowe's buying some things, and down the aisle he saw the guy who lied about him that ultimately got him convicted, that got him in prison. And he said, before I realized what I was doing, I had picked up a pipe, and I was walking down the aisle. I was going to beat him to death in Lowe's. I thought I had forgiven him. And Ryan wisely said, you did. You just got to do it some more. (laughs) Keep forgiving until you're free. Now, some people say, Augsburg said, there's a fourth stage to this process that that he called healthy relationship restored. And in many cases, that is the ideal. I mean, if it's it's a family member, certainly if it's a marriage, you want to restore that. But hear me, guys, I don't believe with, with anything in me that if we're talking about an abuser, 
Are we talking about a manipulative friend that you have to go back and restore that friendship? You just have to let go of any hurt against any hate or any anger toward you. You've got to let it go, but you only restore that relationship if it's healthy. Hear me. Forgiveness is a gift that we're called to give. Trust is earned. Come on. So you don't put yourself back in harm's way, and you don't have to in order to be a forgiver. You just release it to God. So I've got to close this thing. I've got to wrap it up, but there's another point that's really critical. It starts by facing it, and then you forgive the offender, and then step three, maybe the hardest one of all, focus forward. Long before modern psychology figured a lot of this stuff out, Job said that there were two parts to spiritual and emotional and physical health, and he outlined it for us in Job chapter 11, verses 13 through 18. Let's break it down. In verses 13 and 14, he said, if you devote your heart to him, to God, and stretch out your hands to him, to the Lord, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, stop there. I've got to make sure you understand what Job's saying. If you devote yourself completely to God, if you focus on Him and His plans and His purposes for your life, stop focusing on the person who hurt you or or the, the event that hurt you. Start focusing on God and commit yourself completely to God. Devote yourself completely to God. And what's the second part of that passage? If you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, what's He saying? He's saying... Ask God to forgive you for holding on to resentment. If you don't just forgive them, you actually ask God to forgive you for holding on to it as long as you have. Understand that, again, here's a context for a teaching of Jesus. Giving and receiving forgiveness is totally intertwined. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, if you give those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sin. It's all tied together, guys. Here's the mistake we make. This is going to be painful for some of you, but you need to hear it. It's breaking my heart to say it. You've been praying, God, get them. Teach them. And then you've been asking for mercy for yourself. The only way you get mercy is if you give it. The only way you receive grace is if you give it. The only way you receive forgiveness is if you give forgiveness. They're all intertwined, guys. You're only hurting yourself and the people that are closest to you if you continue to hold on to it. Job said, focus on the Lord. Don't let any sin continue to dwell in you. Then he picks it up, verse 15, 16. Then free of fault, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water's gone by. That's important. There's an expression out there that says, forgive and forget. I got another deeply spiritual expression for that. How do you forget somebody hurt you deeply? How do you forget somebody did something hard? That's, I don't think it's humanly possible that you forget it, but you can get to the place that you're looking at life through the windshield. 
and not studying the rearview mirror all the time. Not telling you to get rid of the rearview mirror. You keep it for perspective. But you focus on the windshield. You begin to say, you know what? I, I'm just not living there anymore. I'm looking forward to what God has for me. When you do that, here's what Job says will happen. Verse 17 and 18. Lean into this one. Hear it. Let it speak into your spirit. Life will be brighter than noonday. In the light, healed. Darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and make and, and take your rest in safety. When you come to that place, there is no more pulling into a shell, hiding from the world. There is no more building a wall to protect yourself that ultimately shuts out the very people that are trying to help you. There's no more victim mentality. I can't help it. I'm a victim of so-and-so and such-and-such. And such. No more of that junk. I am a child of the King. The God of the universe made me on purpose. Come on. And he has a plan for my life, and I'm going to live out that plan. And I'm going to fulfill those days as long as I have breath in my being, walking in the light, secure in Jesus, looking with confidence at the future. Not because of what has happened in your past, but because of what happened in His at Calvary. You can be free. And Job 42, 12 can be your verse. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life even more than the first. So are you ready to do what Job did? Face it. Forgive your offender. Face forward. Doesn't come naturally. Comes supernaturally. But the rest of your life can be the best of your life. If you will. Somebody said it to me the other day in a way that was very poignant for me. She said there are 7,605,186,000 people in the world. Why would we let one of them define our future? Ready to let it go? Stand with me, would you? Bow your heads with me a minute. I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I do want to I want to lean into this for a second. I think it's huge. The altars are going to be open. Maybe you need to pray in agreement with somebody before you leave here today. Take advantage of that. But at the very least, pray this prayer with me. God, I need help facing, admitting this hurt. I don't want to feel it all over again. But if that's what it takes, so be it. Pray in your own words, but pray, okay? Lord, help me to be a forgiver as you are a forgiver. Oh, I know you do it instantly, and it's going to take me a while, but help me to make that choice 
to be a forgiver? In fact, help me to choose to be a forgiver even before the hurt comes so that I'm not in the midst of the hurt deciding whether or not I'm going to forgive. This is who I am. I am a forgiver. I am a gracious person. Help me to get there, Lord. Help me to go on that journey in an honest way. And then, Lord, help me to focus forward to become everything you intended me to be and find the fulfilling life you promised in the process. Father, you know who's praying across this room, online, across the world, literally. You know who's praying. You're speaking, Holy Spirit, into our hearts. And we want to be free from resentment. We don't want to carry it. We certainly don't want to be defined by hurts. We don't want to be defined by our past. So pour your grace on our hearts right now. Let the healing begin. In Jesus' name. Amen. Take advantage of the altar this morning. Let some of our prayer team pray for you. I know they understand these principles. They'd be thrilled to pray with you today. First-time guests, thank you so much for being with us. Stop by the VIP table. We've got to thank you for coming, Gift. We'd love to put it in your hands. Pick up your packet. Let's get some folks into the house on Easter Sunday. We're going to preach the gospel. Clearly, simply, bottom shelf, we're praying for 50 souls. God bless you guys. See you next Sunday.